the JTAP podcast, episode 40 Bravo. Send it. I can do that. JTAX. Clearing it hot, making it rain, and bringing the boom boom. Thanks for tuning in to episode 40 Bravo. If you haven't listened to 40 Alpha, I suggest you go back and listen to that so you're up to speed where uh, we are at this point. So, and by this point, there's gun gas all over the windscreen. There's um, a little bit of light rain. And so it just makes this goo. You can't see through it, you know? So it's getting kind of spooky. I'm down to like, my fuel gauges are pointing to where they never, I've never seen them before, at least in the air. So on the way back to um, like emergency fuel, on the way back to Bagram and um, randomly um, KC10 guys. So this is another shout out to tankers, I guess. They say, hey man, we're, we're here. We're, where do you want us to go? And I pick a spot in front of me and do some timing. I said, if you show up here, you know, be at this altitude. We'll see if this works out. So I descend down into the, into the, you know, the weather a little bit. I don't want to, but I do anyway. Cause I'm like, if I don't get this, I'm going to take, I'm going to try to get on the boom one time. And then if I don't, I'll, I'll probably get to Bagram or I'll be close enough that, you know, um, I can punch and maybe land inside the wire. <laughs> so these guys, man, I, I'm just cruising along and here they are exactly where they said they were, they were going to be. And the boom is down and boom, I hit it on the first try and I get that first 400 pounds. And like, I swear to God, I've just been holding my breath for 30 minutes, man. Cause like, <gasps> I can start to see colors again. I'm like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> so those guys, man, they, they hung it out. They're down there like setting it up perfect, like keeping me calm and all that shit because they knew I didn't have that much of a chance to get over there. So I'm glad they did that. That's my, that's my, like, that's not the only time some sporty shit like that happened, but that's the most kind of, that's the one that sticks out the most to me. And I really appreciate them doing that. So, yeah. Shout out to uh, episode, episode 22 if people want to go and uh, listen to, to that one. Um, what's, uh, what's the, Sub, looking at, over, uh, over to you, who's the biggest influence you've had? So the biggest influence, individual influence you've ever had? Another good question. Um, so initially when I started off, it was a guy, Scouse McDonald. He was, a, he was a sergeant when I was a corporal and stuff. And I, we did the invasion and and stuff. He, he really made a name for JTAC and FAC and whatever in the invasion of Iraq. Uh, he left and moved on. But I think that he's a former Navy SEAL. He's a bit of a legend in, in the SEALs from when they were, you know, hardcore frogmen. He was on Just Cause, if you remember that. Uh, General Noriega, he's a proper, proper guy. He looked like uh, Jesse Ventura. Uh, his name's Randy, Randy Bozaleo. He was the sort of civilian chief instructor in, uh, in JCAS in Fallon. Big guy, in his 50s, quite scary, perfect moustache, perfect moustache. And you, all the guy, all the young SEALs would be really, really scared of him. And he'd say, oh, all right, fat boy, or come something to me. And I'd just give him a hard time back. And people would suddenly go, oh, my God, you can't say that to Randy. And Randy loved it. So um, I got so much support from him. You know, in the sort of middle of my JTAC career, when I started to lead sort of 20 brigade and stuff like that, um, he was absolutely superb. And, you know, I got qualified, I got higher qualifications with the US Navy and US Marine Corps than I did from UK because we were sort of delivering the goods. So he was superb. Um, but he's a bit of a legend in the JTAC and a, and a sort of 1980s Navy SEALs sort of gang. Um, and another one worth a mention, you know, Generally, we bash in UK. We bash officers and have a go at our officers. They just come in and go out. And I know he's a bit of a marmite character, but there's a guy, Rich May, in Germany. He was just go and do it, go and do it, and he supported and supported. And I just went away and came up with these exercises, and he helped me out massively with that. You know, um, he's still in it, and he's, his heart's in it. He comes up with some wacky ideas, I must admit, but. Um, but I think the main one is, is this guy, Randy, Randy Buzalel. He, he got JTAC. Uh, he's a bit old school, bringing in new, new technology as well. So, yeah, that's it for me. Really. Kiwi, who, who's, your, uh, who's your biggest influence? Uh, well, I was going to be funny and say libations in the Lord, 
are my biggest influences, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need yeah, like quick fire questions for you. I need like at least like need like twenty <laughs> questions, just quick fire, <laughs> rapid fire round for you at the end. Yeah, <laughs> definitely influence a lot of my decisions. I'll say that, good or bad. Mm. Um, so I I think honestly, and it's so I try to at least in my life keep uh, everybody that I, you know, keep close to me or even loosely associated is, is some sort of micro influence, um, on me. And if, if you're not, then, you know, just a shed you, but, um, I would say recently the biggest influence, um, that's on my mind was, um, actually it was the, uh, an, an Air Force major, Stephanie Prelock's RIP. Uh, she actually just passed away right at the end of March, about two days after I got home, uh, cancer, um, but she, when I was first like being like, oh yeah, I want to go in the air force. She was, she was a fresh second Lieutenant at the time. And she kind of, and a fellow West Virginian. So, you know, we kind of, we met like with our kids at the splash park, you know, the water park in Utah and got to talk and she's like, yeah, no, you can totally do. It. And I was like, no way you think so. Um, so she kind of influenced me to get started in like my career. Uh, she actually commissioned me, um, and has always, you know, just genuinely cared about my career progression. And we, you know, have always kept in touch. And, you know, last few years have been kind of rough. She, uh, her cancer showed up. She lost a leg to it, was doing pretty good battling it. And then uh, I think New Kid was like the day I got home then uh, last day or so, March. And then, you know, we got the news. And, of course, with COVID and all the bullshit, we can't have, like, a funeral or anything. But um, she's somebody that's like, I'm always like, okay, what would Steph do, you know, in this situation? And that's what I would say, like, probably my biggest professional influence um, overall has been her. Um, but in general, like life, biggest individual influence is like, and this is going to sound like probably hokey, but like little kid me, like me when I was a little kid. So like, I try to stay true to, you know, like when I was a little kid, I just wanted to like run around the woods with guns, like play with boys, like travel the world, you know, just like had all these big. <laughs> so what you're like, doing. Exactly. Yeah. I wanted to be like a photojournalist, like in Africa for Nat Geo or some, you know, whatever bullshit, but so it's kind of, you know, I try to just like stay true to myself. Um, and that's hard to do. You know, you meet so many people in, in this job um, or in this life, really. But uh, I mean, I can remember just being tiny, a tiny kid and, you know, playing in the creeks or whatever. And like an airplane would fly over. And that wasn't like, oh, I want to be in the Air Force. But I was like, there's a whole big world out there. And I want to see it. I want to go experience it. And I just, I was never, you know, just wanted to stay in one place. I want to get out do stuff, meet people. I'm very much an extrovert. Um, so I just, I kind of try to stay true to that, like little kid mentality before you get all like fucked up and damaged and everything. Like, Hey, this is what I want to do. I want to have fun and Oh, I can make money doing that. And so that's, I, again, it sounds a little bit hokey, but that's probably my biggest like life influence is my little kid mindset. Yeah. I like that. I like, uh, I like the fact that your, your friend got to commission you and you have those touch points with a, you know, through your life, but that little kid thing of like, be, be true to yourself, you know, what, how would you criticize your, would that little yeah. child come up and be like, you're not doing what I told you to do with my life. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. It's like, that's cool. Your roots, not your suits, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Ricky, who, Ricky, what are your biggest influences? I mean, this is going to sound like a massive cocksucking session now mate but i honestly you know that you first arrived um you know what's coming mate so you arrived you arrived at next person at, at where i'm at yeah. <laughs> moving so you on arrived you you arrived where i'm at um right when i was i'd probably done six months as a cj tack um i kind of got that initial nervousness of being on the mic without someone breathing down your neck out of the way um, even though obviously at this point I was still getting my taxonomies, I was still fully supervised. You arrived from where you arrived from. Um, and that kind of, I think your influence on the department we were at because of your background was, was, was really good because it took us out of, don't just, don't just follow it doctrinally, which is obviously important, but there's, there's ways you can approach things with a different view, if that makes sense. Um, there's always ways there's always ways of doing things um that are slightly different but still following the rules obviously we all know the 12-step process has different layers to it you can chop in and out of it but you really added a different depth to that for myself and probably quite a few jtacs of my peers as well to be honest yeah 
I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I think that the, the mindset on that unit that we were on, mate, is just incredible now. I, I, I love where they're at and I love hearing the stories they tell. Like long after I was gone, I love what they're doing there. So long may that continue and you guys are, you know, kicking ass down there. Um, Ricky. Yeah, uh, Neil, before you, flip, before you flip over, mate, um, let me fire that question back at you. Who was your biggest influence? Because I know obviously you're sat here asking a lot of questions back to, uh, back to everyone that jumps on these podcasts, but. What about you? Who was like who influenced you to be who you are and go down the route you were going down? I tell you what, there was a, it's an interesting one. I was thinking about this the other day, uh, and I'm hoping he'll one of them will come on the podcast. There's two people that are major influences in my JTAC life, if that's where we're staying specifically. Um, JTAC in career wise, Jerry Brown is just an absolutely incredible human being. Like he he he's changed the face of um, British JTAC in it, it, I think to where it is right now. And uh, you know the next leap will take someone like that again. So he he changed my life into uh, in 2010. Came into this world and it changed everything for me. Um, but my biggest influence was uh, Scotty. Uh, when I arrived into my job off of the basic course, you know. I could, rat, I could rattle through the phases. I could, you know, send nine lines, blah, 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 blah. The, the instructors on the school had done a, a really great job. And, you know, that was actually complimented by the JTAC eyes. They were like, you guys are, you know, far ahead of where we were expecting you to be. But Scotty turned around and he showed me everything. He went, get on that computer now. I want you to read all the JTARs the guys have submitted. I want you to read all the CONOPS they've submitted. I want you to write, read all the misreps they've done. I want you to see all the work. I want you to sit there. I want you to do the spins test that they've done this month. And he just, he showed me that, you know, execution is this tiny, tiny portion. And yeah, you know, you've come out of the school and they've done a really good job of teaching you that. But, you know, there's still plan, brief and, and report to do. You know, that executes such a tiny bit. And, uh, as we all know, you know, no job goes without, you know, a 12 million slide PowerPoint presentation produced by the staff officers. So unless you're spun up on that, you ain't going anywhere as a JTAC. Um, so yeah, I think Scott, Scotty was my biggest JTAC influence. A absolutely. Yeah. And it's important as well. Like I remember, uh, I remember Tommy, you said something as well about like one of the biggest myths on your question was that we're all this perfect, sexy cas boys. And it's those mistakes that we all develop ourselves from that, you know, these influence these these people right. influence are fan these people influencers are fantastic at saying, Do you know what, you've made that step mistake. But that's good because nothing teaches, nothing educates an individual like a mistake. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's absolutely. why I'm so good at what I do because I, I make so many. Neil, I gotta get going, man. Dude, um, you be safe. I know you've got a uh, long yeah. trip ahead. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun in, in jolly old England for the last couple of days when none of the pubs are open. So thanks for that. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know what, next time I'm here, man. Maybe I'll catch a train and come see you or something. So Definitely. Um, hey, thanks for the invite. Thanks for having me. It's good to meet you guys, too, on here. Um, uh, awesome, to, awesome to hear your stories and, and kind of see who you are in real life. It's, it's, it's really good for me, so I appreciate it. Jeff, fly safe, man. Thanks, buddy. We'll see you. <laughs> Tommy, obviously, you must obviously be even what more you experienced. You must be even more experienced than Jeff. If mistakes is the way to become a legend, you must be the boy, right? Hey, man, just fuck up going 100 miles an hour. Sometimes <laughs> people won't even really notice. You know? <laughs> Who, who's your biggest influence? And you're not allowed to say me. All right, knows. so. Right. Yeah. You, that's already off the table. So, uh, I'll keep it specific to the, the TACP community. Um, I know he was talked about previously on your show or on the podcast, uh, master Sergeant Brett Davidson, the rest in peace. We lost him uh, tears here in mid June, uh, during an accident on a TDY. But, uh, this dude was just, you want to talk about presence. Like, you walked in the room, you felt it. Um, he was a, he was a bulldog and his, his little personal, uh, motto was mentor everyone, endorse a few. And that's something that I've, I've, uh, I've taken with me. It's tattooed on my leg. I, and I think about that, you know, um, the dude was always constantly trying to spread knowledge and mentor everyone, but there was a select few people. There's a select few people that he kept under his wing and really, really groomed. And, and there was a point in uh, my career when I was in, um, 
Kentucky at Fort Campbell, where I was a flight commander and he was the ops superintendent. But we were really good friends. But, um, you know, there's some times where those two entities are going to kind of clash heads, right? The squadron ops team has kind of their initiatives and the flight commanders kind of have theirs. So there was times where we'd go into the commander's office and he and he'd be throwing spears at me the whole time, dude. Just like making like just making my life real hard, you know. And then I I'd, I'd go over to his house after work to turn wrenches on the Harleys, and he'd be like, "Oh yeah, dude, I totally could see where you're coming from there." And I'm like, "Dude, and, right?" So he was developing me that whole time, and uh, he taught me as a as an officer how to have hard conversations, how to uh, most tactfully and politely say like. I think that idea is fucking retarded and we, maybe we do this, but he, he taught me that and he, he, and he, he opposed me for, uh, at times for my development and I appreciate him. And, uh, and he taught me how to ride motorcycles and turn wrenches on him and I miss him every day, but, uh, dude, just monster of a man, dude. Uh, so cheers, Brett Davidson, but that's, that's, uh, who I'm going to, I'm going to sling that to man. Roger that mate. Um, <clears throat> I'll do this last one quick fire then. Uh, and I'm going to change it a little bit. The question is, what's on your mind in the noisy silence of a helo ride? And uh, and I guess for me, it would be a song or something like that. What's uh, what's in your in your head then, Tommy, on a he- on a noisy silent helo ride? I'm thinking about that uh, the comforting sting of that potato water hitting my. <laughs> once we're once we're debrief complete yeah, obviously obviously sub what's uh what's on your mind on on a noisy silent ride have i uh have i got the right frequencies <laughs> um, yeah freaking out frequencies have i got enough battery power yeah kiwi what's uh what's what's going through your mind uh so i always put in headphones like underneath Keltors, and it's like a traumatic experience if i don't have music and but usually it's just like man i love this man i love this uh but one of the most recent ones that i had and it was just like this weird like huh i was flying over um jalalabad and uh so and i spent a lot of time in new orleans um it's like you know basically a second home and i was like damn dude jalalabad looks a lot like new orleans i was like it's like the new orleans of afghanistan mm. and uh, and i'm actually working like i'm pointing you guys can't see it but i'm working this whole like big art piece on plywood of it and it's like word mash it's called jalalians like because it's just the colorful buildings like there's weird just like you know ghostly shit that goes on there and i just remember like i thought about that for like four days afterward like because i was just sitting through that whole ride i was like yeah the weird colorful buildings, the like crazy characters and everything. I was like, it's really the New Orleans of Jalalabad. That's probably the craziest silent helo flight thought that I've ever had. And uh, I developed an artwork out of it. So I like that. I'll have to see that when you're done. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, we're getting there. You know. <laughs> Ricky, what's your, uh, your noisy silence? I'm a, I'm a bit of a people watcher, mate. So, uh, I'll sit there and I'll stare at people thinking, what the, that fucker's not done his trainers up properly, he's not done his boots up properly, he's, you know, that, that clip's undone on his, on his, on his chest rig, you know, I'm a bit, just a bit of a people watch, mate, there's not a lot go through my mind on the way in, but, um, from a professional point, it should probably be like preemptive Cosbury, but it ain't, I'm just a watchful people, I'm really ju- judgmental, mate, I've got to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you, I really am. Roger that. That's that's the nine uh, questions I have. Cool. So Neil, we've had um, obviously you've been spent a lot of time now trying to push this out, and no one's actually turned around and asked you the questions you've been firing back at all. So um, I think it's probably appropriate that you're you're on the spot. Um, I put out earlier uh, via my Instagram. Any questions for the uh, the curator, if you like, of the um, JTAP podcast? And I've had a few come back. Um, Sub mentioned earlier, uh, Rich May, he wants to ask you, who do you think has got it right? The US Air Force TACP program or uh, the way we do it as UK JTAC? Which way do you think is more effective? And, um, and probably why I think is more, more appropriate to the podcast. I mean, that's, a, that's a, it's an interesting concept. I mean, I, 
I don't want to dive too much into their um, their world because obviously I've I've seen what the product of their schoolhouse is, but I've not been you know involved in the product of their schoolhouse like I have over here. I think it's interesting the way that we do our business in in as much as you have to have done something prior to. Now I know obviously there's different avenues to arrive at the school, but what you're getting at the school is an NCO who has you know and to get to their level let's say if they're an absolute flyer um you know six seven, six years six years of military experience to be day one and you will have to have done everything right to be that guy so that's the you know that's the kind of guy you're getting as a as an nco officer wise again you know you're a second tourist you know you're not it's not that your first job it's not your primary position etc um certainly with the ncos what you get is you get a maturity level you get a baseline where they when they go back to the unit they speak the language of the unit they've come from so you know they've already been with that unit they've done a decent amount of time they've been an nco in that unit they come and they learn the world of CAS and then they go back right so i can see and then you're you're that interpreter you know i speak the language of this person and i now speak the language of close air support so i can see the benefits of that um get, getting a guy now the time frame that we give guys to do that is where I would throw my hat in the ring with the US Air Force. I think that we could offer, and I know command structures and timelines and et cetera, et cetera, is whatever, but I think we could give guys more time. I think we could give them a, a better service if we gave them more time to learn and more time to, you know, more reps i guess is what i'm looking for if we were able to give guys more reps um the same way as the, the air force guys do over in the us um i think we'd be doing the service so i would say that our winning factor is the guy is you know he's already a, a grown-up uh, in some respect he he knows what his the tactics of his unit are and i'd say with the us air force the way they get it right is the sheer number of reps they give to those guys so Okay. I think an amalgamation of the two would be perfect, and I don't think anyone's got it right yet. So potentially the UK splitting down into a couple of ALI cells that are non, non-trade specific, <clears throat> non-cat badge or service specific, ALI North, ALI South, combined arms. Yeah, I think you've heard me talk to that for sure. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you've heard me talk that up big time for sure. Yeah, so I, I mean, if you, if you could probably throw that question out, Tommy or, or, or Sub, have you got any, any thoughts on that? I could, uh, I, could speak to the, I could speak to the U.S. side of things. And again, I, I said it, I said it uh, on our first interview, you know, you know like we're, we're in a transition period and we're figuring out our processes and stuff. Um, and we're going to be just fine. And, and that's what we're moving forward with. But it sounds like, you know, the similarity was that that before being a JTAC, you know, whether even, even if you were already a TAC P, you had years um, as, you know, you had years to learn the basic soldiering skills in order to, to walk and talk with the Army and advise them and, and those sorts of things. So now we're kind of front-loading the, um, the JTAC piece. I think what we're trying to solidify now at this point is what processes come into place to ensure that our dudes have the basic soldiering skills um, needed to be effective? And then, like, how do we constantly challenge our CTJ tax as deployments start to slow down a little bit? So just kind of two prongs, like, challenge your, challenge your experienced dudes, you know, as much as you can. And then, like, okay, we, we did away with the Romad. How do we – how do we like, what do we do to, you know, kind of make up for that um, lost experience, if you will, but that's where we're kind of at now, but they're doing great things down there in San, San Antonio, kind of solidifying the, the pipeline uh, in a different way. But um, there's definitely, there's definitely a, you know, a, a value to, to a dude going and, and having like just experience as a, uh, as a soldier and knowing his equipment and knowing, knowing his land navigation, how do you get into that MRAP over there, bud? And like all those little, all those little tiny things that maybe these dudes won't see until they like get down range or link up with an army unit. I think that's what we need to kind of like figure out how we, 
I would square those skills away um, before we send them to God's work. So I think that's kind of where we're at on the U.S. side. Yeah, the foundational knowledge of how the military works. Yeah, man, I definitely feel that. Sub, anything? Yeah, um, I've been around the boy several times on this. Um, I think across the board, in certainly UK, we try to be American. The US is massive, the world's most powerful country. They've got the most aircraft, they've got the most assets, they, they, they've got everything, they've got a career stream, they've got a lot. We don't have that. We don't have that at all. So um, it's great. You know, we, we all want, everyone, Christ, I was one of the worst ones for it, wanted to be American, I had my USAF t-shirt and all of that sort of stuff. Nah, we've got to step away from that. Step away from that and understand that one strength we do have, certainly in the British Army, is I was a reconnaissance soldier that was a JTAC. I managed to stay doing JTAC, whatever, for 15 years, but I was bouncing back at two whilst being a JTAC and to be reconnaissance. So when I didn't have any cars, I was commanding a vehicle, a Scimitar or a Spartan or a Jackal, in and out, in and out. What we could do, and I think we need to, because I, I really do believe it's potentially a weak link, and a high, a prime example of that was the last podcast we had Bodar on, Pierre Bodar. He'd done his career, and when he's at the top of his rank, he put him as a ground liaison officer. So if, if UK, you bounce back and two in between the JTAC, fight, whatever you're doing, and then once you get to warrant officer or staff site, whatever it is, right, there you go. There's a W02 position for you, warrant officer position. You are a standaval team at the end of your career. Not even standaval, I don't use that term, but as a ground liaison. So you can do that link, man. Each squadron needs a globe. Ground liaison officer that can do the JTAC and can mentor the JTACs and stuff. Because I just think certain UK is probably get shot the next conference when I'm in a suit and tie doing industry bit with a lot of these people that are potentially my customers and correct no not slagging off the hierarchy of the British defence and certainly JTAC community but we're a bit rudderless UK is rudderless we're trying to mimic the US I remember there's a there's an old buddy of mine Timmy Han US Air Force guy JTAC he came out and said will we have E4s as JTACs in the US Air Force so because the US Air Force do that, that's when they start putting lance corporals and whatever on, on, the, on the scope fleet for UK. And for UK, it doesn't really work, generally. So just be, be what we are. But I think really do think at the top end, when you, you, you finish your career, you're not going to be regimental sergeant major or whatever. You're not going to be squad sergeant major. Or Go and be a ground liaison officer, mentor a load of JTACs, and do that link, link person in between the squadrons. And, and that's where it... That's a realistic thing. I, ideally, you have a squadron, ASOF North, ASOF South, York, and where you're bloody crappy Gen 4, Obgen, with Gem Tech helmets and all your cry kit and stuff and cut around. But that's not realistic. It's not realistic. It won't happen with UK MOD, so stop, stop fighting it. Okay, so Neil, um, obviously you put a quick fire question out, so there's a couple on here for you then. Um, the old Desert Island JTAC, send it. <laughs> Okay. Um, compass or uh, laser rangefinders, or and if I can have a set of laser rangefinders with a compass in it, I'll just. I know it'll be slightly off, but I'll take them. So I'm gonna have a laser rangefinders or compass in it. Can I have that as one item? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna have a, a deck chair and loads of sun cream because I'm ginger as hell. Nice. See, I do not mind you wishing for more wishes, Neil. Honestly. <laughs> um, so, quick one. Hardest place that you've ever operated then uh, and why? And what would you have done to make that easier? The hardest place I've operated? Yeah, what's the most difficult place that you have operated in and why was that the most difficult? I think the Arctic is the hardest place to operate. I mean, the, the, people say the trees is the, goodest, the, the best test, but you can be naked in the trees and survive. You know, you can figure it out. If you're naked in, in the Arctic Circle, you're going to die. You know, everything out there is just harder. You know, you take your glove off harder. You you try to fix your radio. You try and spit on, you know, everyone like, you know, you're trying to get your headset onto your radio and you're giving it the old, uh, I'm going to spit on it to get it to attached. Don't do that and in, in whatever. So I guess like that's probably the hardest place to operate. Um, if, if I was answering the question in a, in a, in a purist sort of way. 
also make that sort of ad I've had my social media. I know if you guys wanted to throw it back to you because you've been uh, hammering all of us on the podcast. So uh, yeah, back in your hands, buddy. <laughs> no, appreciate it. Yeah, don't mind uh, a- answering questions. Um, is <laughs> has anybody got anything else they want to uh, add at all? I saw up there uh, on the story. If I read it correctly, it was it was. Um... Uh, mentioning a country, you know, besides the U.S. and U.K. that you enjoyed working with, I saw some people come back with some uh, some pretty unique answers for that. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, there, the, I was, I've just been blown away, like, uh, with the amount of nations that come back, and I, I can't. Uh, we had a, a podcast um, with a a Bosnia Herzegovina guy on and I was just like two, they've only got two JTACs you know and they've literally just finished the score I think this community is just incredible and, and the nations it spreads across incredible uh if if you're asking me to pick a nation that isn't the UK or, or America I'd have to say the you know the Australian guys are just you know they they're just just as swept up um I know that maybe is a slight uh, slight cop out but for me, those guys are just as swept up uh, as any um, US or UK JTAC that I've ever worked with. Nice, man. I was thinking about that myself. I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of at a toss up because I, I enjoyed the, uh, I enjoyed the Aussie pilots, but man, I had some, uh, some French dudes do some like, do some real gangster shit for us in 2016. Like I remember one time this guy's like, I literally have no gas, but I can be in in 30 seconds. I was like, Jesus Christ, man, they're really all in here. So, uh, and they can really thread, they can really thread the needle with those 12s, man. So I'll, I'll, I'll slide some kudos to the French dude. Yeah. I've heard a, I've heard a rumor that the uh, Irish Rangers have JTACs. So I'm trying desperately to find one. So if you're listening and you're an Irish Ranger, like <laughs> hit me up. The Aussies have got a load, load of bricks as well. They do, yeah. They do have a lot of it. I, I, I went and I don't know, probably second Iraq tour. Went up. Oh, where's the JTAC? Oh, some guy come and talk to me. You know, he had his board shorts on, flip flops, called me bro, and all of this chit chat, whatever. And he was the CEO. Really, really chilled out, but really good. And we got he's a Brit guy. He was my he was a BC's act. My uh, first Afghan tour. Uh, he's he's hated off JTACs. We got him really, really well. Good lad, Devs. Hated JTAX and now he's a JTAC and he's all he's all nine lined up and everything. It's great. Baseball caps the lock. So um, I, I think he's listening as well. So hello, Dev. So you're all right. But yeah, Aussies are top. But Kiwis are very, very good as well. Kiwis are good. Yeah, I like it. The floor, the floor is open. And telling me stories. I love a good story. I was born in Ireland, so I, I'll sit around and listen to stories and tell stories all night. Also, one thing that's never come up is your uh, pre-JTAC and your background, is it, Neil? You've uh, failed to divulge onto that. Say that again, Ricky. Sorry, mate. I mean, your background's never really uh, been exposed. You know, you've asked a lot of people about what it looks like before you you got into the military, what you got you into the military. It's not really uh, no, into light. I, How about that? No, it's, it's a good point, Ricky. That I have been asked now, This is, I think this is the <laughs> third or fourth occasion, whether or not I'm going to do an episode on, on myself. And I'll be honest, I didn't, that was never obviously the intention with this. And, uh, you know, it's something I'll think about um, doing a pure episode and where maybe I'd have to, you know, I'll have to get some, I guess somebody else will have to play the part of, uh, or whatever, because it'd be kind of weird me just going like talking. I don't know, maybe it wouldn't be weird me just talking to myself, but I feel like it might be. Um, but for the, but the, for the Bennett, if you, for, if you guys, I guess, um, I was born in, in Galway in, uh, on, in the Republic of Ireland, um, on the west coast of Ireland. My mother is from Hollywood, Belfast, Hollywood County Down um, in Northern Ireland for you, the, for you guys over there. That's Northern Ireland, obviously. Um, and this, I was born in 1983. My parents met, you know, obviously along a few years before that, before I showed up. But my father's from the south of Ireland, from a town called Longford in the Republic of Ireland, not in Northern Ireland. So unusual for, um, uh, a girl and a boy from across the border to meet like that, but they did. Um, and yeah, there wasn't, my mother had trained as a nurse and then as a midwife and there wasn't a lot of work in Ireland back there in the eighties. 
and she got offered a contract what was actually pretty incredible amount of money back then to come and be a midwife uh, over in England and uh, you know it was so much more money it was more money than my dad was earning etc etc we come from a farm my dad was born into a beef farming family in the south of Ireland that we my uncle still owns the farm but um, I guess if my dad hadn't left Ireland, I'd be a farmer now because he's the eldest son of, of that family. And he just chose to go with his wife to England and his next, so his brother, the one down, the next one down inherited the farm. So him coming to the UK obviously changed all of our lives. We moved to Surrey, which is about 20 minutes just outside of, uh, outside of London when I was five years old. And I, I lived there until I, until I joined the military, um, Growing up there was was amazing. My aunt was just down the road and this, that, and the other. You know, I ran, I ran or I cycled or everywhere that I went, you know, we were free as anything in comparison to like even the way I treat my kids now. I my parents were like, Yeah, get out of here. Just, you know, I got on my bike and I went to my aunties and saw my cousins and all that kind of stuff. Typical Irish people, you know, just cutting around doing our own thing. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 13, I think, that I probably started really losing the Irish accent and all that kind of stuff. Maybe it was younger than that. Yeah, but when you're a little boy, you know, and all your friends have English accents, it goes away. I moved when I was five, so it washed, uh, washed right out of me. Um, and I was doing the Duke of Edinburgh Awards at uh, school, and I had an option. I had to do something that was service-based to get my bronze Duke of Edinburgh. For you got I don't know if you guys have anything similar, but basically you go and you have to do like a walk and you have to do something for charity and then you have to do something for the community service and you get given a little badge. You know, it, it, they, it's like a rite of passage for you know, like teenagers over here in the UK, like girl guides and, you know, scouts and that kind of stuff. Um, and I was in school and I was doing the, the bronze level. There's three, obviously bronze, silver, gold. Uh, and it's like gold level is like basically go up Everest. But uh, I was doing the bronze level. And I had to do something service-based. I had an option to go to the hospital radio in the Royal Surrey. Um, and I was going up there that day to go and, and join in and be on the radio station on the, this is 13 years old, like to be on the radio station in the hospital radio. And a friend of mine, I met a friend of mine on the way. And he was like, I was like, he was all dressed in like camouflage and everything another 13 year old boy and I was like where are you going he's like I'm in the, I'm in the air cadets I'm going to air cadets and I was like I'm not going to the hospital radio I'm going with you and uh what convinced me was he said you if you don't do the hospital if you go to air cadets you get signed off for your badge because that's considered service so I was like well I don't have to go to the hospital radio and I can go run around with my friends so I went down to this thing called air cadets um and didn't go to the hospital radio I guess I'm living my hospital radio life now right the, the some 19 say, years, yeah, that's ironic isn't it like 19 years later okay <laughs> um, um, but yeah uh yeah my my warrant officer on my squadron um in air cadets was x-34 squadron rf regiment um and i literally that it was an air cadet squadron that was run like an rf regiment squadron do you know what i mean because he was that's how he knew how to do his business and so you know, guys out of that squadron were joining the parachute regiment, joining the Marines, joining the PWRRs, which would have been our local regiment down there in Surrey. In Guildford, like the only recruiting office there was, was the Marines. And then older shot, you could go and join the PWRR. Um, and if you wanted to like join the Air Force, you had to go down to Brighton. Um, I decided I wanted to be RAF regiment. Do you know what I mean? And I went into the careers office and I was like, I want to be RAF regiment. And... Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, they turned around to me and went, well, you're doing like sports science and this, that and the other at college. You have all these qualifications, you know, you coaching this, coaching that. And you've done all these sp sports bits at college. You should go and be a PTI. And I was like, don't want to be a PTI. I want to be in the IRF regiment. Anyway, they were like, listen, there's selection for PTI. And then two weeks later, there's a, you know, the selection course for getting into the RF regiment. And they said, if you can pass the fitness tests to become a PTI, your physical training instructor, you'll easily get into the RF regiment like fitness standards i was like all right fine because i had nothing really you know i was fine i was okay with that so i went down did that um did all the tests uh and there was some incredible humans there there was a guy who played basketball for northern ireland a guy who kayaked for like for great britain there was a guy who was like 
jiu-jitsu olympian like and this that and the other and these dudes were just like absolute studs and i'll be honest with you i was like you know they were like making us play tennis and making us play golf and all this sort of stuff and i was like what is going on here you know i thought i was coming here for a fitness test um that was eye-opening and uh hats off to ptis and the things that they learn like they like they learn every sport and every rule and all this sort of stuff and i'm like yeah um you guys are epic at sport i don't mind a bit of fitness but cool so i went and did pass the like their tests to get in and they said yeah you can join the air force but you can join in six months time if as a pti you, you know you can have a place as a pti in six months um and i was like all right cool it's a nice option to have and uh i went and then did my selection course for raf regiment and they said you can come in two weeks you know what i mean and i was like yeah sweet and i was too young to sign my own papers and my mom was like uh obviously a, a lady from northern ireland and a father from southern ireland like no one wants me to join the military and my mom doesn't obviously your mother doesn't want you to go off to war and all this that and ever and i said to my mom when when i convinced her to come down to brighton to my, my sign my paperwork was like look mom there's not even a war on at the moment what are you worried about and at, at, you know at the end of the day i'm going to sign it when i'm 18 anyway which was actually in like three four weeks time i said you're delaying me by six months maximum anyway she signs the paperwork i start basic training march 2021 uh, sorry march 2001 um and you like i can tell you about the pipeline you know six months of basic training infantry based training with a sort of the end of it finishes up so normal infantry based training you know basic training air force then infantry and then it kind of has a focus towards the end on airfields and that kind of stuff and they start talking about the ref a little bit more at the end i came out of that uh, there was only there was whatever 40 something guys start at the end there was like eight of us and they said right you can't pass out with eight of you we're not going to pay for it you're going to pass out with the course behind you so you can have two weeks leave come back and we're going to put on a parade for like the 15 of you i think it was with the course coming up behind mm -hmm. us well that was um we had two weeks leave and i went over to poland with my dad and this that and the other and came back and i was i was upstairs i remember i had to go back to work the next day to have this pass out parade and it was september 2001 and my grand's like hey neil come downstairs you need to see this so i came downstairs and i was like what are you watching she's like it's the news and i stood with my grand and i watched the second plane go into the towers and literally six months before that i had told my mom don't worry there's not even a war on you know what i mean and she'd mm -hmm. signed the papers i turned 18 10 days after and uh you know arrived at my unit and i got uh, i got sent to um a gbad squadron so a ground based air defense squadron and at that christmas i was in i was in the falklands and i was like what the so hell what were you, you... Sorry, go ahead what were you using as g what were you using as gbad obviously a rapier was assigned to the royal artillery i believe at that time was it what were you using yeah, as we had... then for, yeah, for the rf so the air force held on to rapier for a few more we had it for then for a few more years um four more years i believe um, we had it um and i you know i did that classic thing of you know out of basic training they're like where do you want to go and i was like i want to go to two three sixty three or three do you know what i mean and they did some weird maths and sent me to 37 and i'd never heard of 37 i was like how have you like i they, they like they're like what squadron i went two three or 63 and they did some maths 37 i never heard of 37 yeah. they're out in germany the average you can give you that yeah 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 um arrived out in germany these guys were absolutely mental they'd been out in germany like they'd never left germany you know since the second world war um and that's all they knew they were so free you know they were on the trains every weekend busting around europe you know it was like pie pie central you know work hard and play you know 20 times harder you know uh, and as a young gunner you were just thrown like there was four of us sent there out to germany put in a car neil you have a driving license drive the last of germany and it was like show them what they could have won because we went out there and we were there for like a, less than a month helping them strip the squadron down we got absolutely like like you do as a new guy anywhere absolutely thrashed by these guys they loved having brand new guys to play with they hadn't had anyone out in germany for ages because it was a unit that was coming back to the uk and uh yeah i mean we arrived back in the uk two weeks ahead of the squadron 
and uh, we got put in this auditorium. Our corporal turns around to us and he goes, hey guys, we're going to go to this station arrivals brief because it's something we need to do. We'll get it ticked off now before the squadron arrives. And I was like, sweet. So we went down there with our corporal and the four of us are sitting at the back and they bring up this presentation and they're like, click, click, clicking through the slides. And it's like 37 squadron RAF regiment is returning to you know, or if they are bad people, basically. And my corporate looked at us and goes, I don't think there's briefs for us, lads. And I was like, yeah, roger that. So came off the, obviously we handed over air defense, like you said, Ricky, um, and I went to uh, heli support. So I went onto helicopters at that point. Um, was fortunate enough to get to go over there under a sort of a, where we're looking to set up a joint personnel recovery and they were looking for snipers and it was an option to get, air, to get my wings. Like it was going to eventually, when it, came to fruition be airborne and I thought it was a pathway to get there um, did a couple of years with them they decided to shut that unit down and I was promoted to corporal um, and then I finally got the option to go to two squadron at that point so I went to two yeah. squadron RF regiment and I did a tour with them so at this point I obviously I've done a few tours along the way there you know I've gone I did the Falklands of like I said and I'd done a couple of I'd done Kuwait and I'd done Iraq and then I arrived onto two squadron and I went to Iraq again. And then I came back and did my pre-parachute selection and did my jumps course, et cetera, which then opened up the, the obviously the world to me at that point, um, as it does. And we went back to, and literally a year later, we went back to Afghan as a squadron. And in that time, you know, I did a couple of different things, um, machine guns and fire support group commander and this, that, and the other. And, uh, I remember one day we were driving through uh, a village somewhere and, and the two IC of the squadron was on up on top cover with me. And he was like, and he was like, you fancy being a JTAC. And the only JTAC I knew at the time was smudge Nathan. And uh, like every, he had been my, you know, mentor my whole time on, on two. And I was like, yeah, I definitely want to do what he's doing. Don't know what he's doing, but it sounds cool. And uh, you know, 2010, my two IC said, yeah, I'll get you the job sent me down there. And like I said, I bumped into Jerry, who I told you about earlier, who like absolute legend did a couple of weeks with me and, and sent me away on my basic course. And I did the very first full basic eight week basic course that they ran at the school. Sub was an instructor actually on that course. Um, yeah. and yeah, it changed my life. Absolutely. I, I mean, I thought that we did some really cool stuff, man, but it absolutely changed my life like the things I've done, the people I've operated with, I'm like this conversation we're sitting having now, um, you know, just wouldn't have happened without it. You know, went through that yeah, basic course. Incredible. I mean, obviously sub was, sub was a WO2 on my course and he gave me my final debrief. Um, and it's, it's amazing, isn't it? The little things that happen have the butterfly effect on the rest of our careers and lead us to places we didn't expect them to be. I sat here having this podcast with some brilliant people from the US and some brilliant people from the UK. Yeah, man. And uh, yeah, and obviously 2010 till now and with yourself and on the schoolhouse here and then continuing in an instructor role now. So yeah, I, like Jay Tacken is insane. Yeah, definitely. I, I, tried to rat I tried to rattle through that as fast as I could. Sorry if I put anyone to sleep. What, what are you going to do with the podcast now? What's the next steps? What am I going to do with the podcast? Mate, I tell you yeah. what, that's, that's a brilliant question. I... I want to try and tell as many stories as I possibly can. I want to try and spread the community up and down. So like not just JTACs or observers or stuff like that, get it in like Kiwi's a good example of that. And obviously her exposure to, to our community, um, you know, get air crew on board. I think what I, I love about it at the moment is if you listen to every podcast, most of the time, it's talking about this mindset, these three sort of, you know, fundamental things of, you know, your ego is going to, you know, is in you, you need to own it. You need to put that down. That's the thing that's going to kill you, you know, and, and, and if you can own it and, and it's a double-edged sword as in your ego will stop you doing things and your ego will get like, you know, end up making you make silly decisions. So it's that balance of, yes, you need to be able to, tell your ego to shut up so you'll actually go and do the thing but then when you're doing the thing not go to, no love yourself too hard that you overstep the, the the boundary and then the second thing is that like growth mindset of 
always learn, always be ready. There's always something new coming down the pipeline. This job is outrageously fast paced in the way it's changing. And I don't mean like JTAC, I mean, I mean the, the, the military, the aircraft that we're getting, the equipment we're being handed, the operations we're being expected to go on and the world around us changing all the time. If you're not willing to have a growth mindset, like if you're saying, oh, this is just the way I am, this is the only way I know how to do it, you're done, you're done. You're, like you're, it's time to retire. You know, you need to find that growth mindset and move on. And then, and then the last one that always comes up is this thing of like community that we're stronger together. The fact that we reach out, like I, I hate that thing of, hey, reach out to me. Like um, I know that's a lovely thing to say, but, and I will always say it, and people can always reach out to me if they want to and ask me anything, but it's the it's the other way around in as much as how many people did you reach out to today how many times did you pick up the phone today and call someone just call them just like pick up your phone and start at a and scroll through and, and call call five people today ring them hey andrew how are you hey becky how are you hey sylvia john Steve. call five people today connect with them for 10 minutes and then put it down like um, instead of just that cop out thing of like a post on Instagram that says, Hey, I'm always here for you. That, like, that's cool. And, and you should be that person. And, 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 and I will always be that person, but you should also be the other person. That's like, we are stronger together. And if we're stronger together, then maintain those, those connections. And it doesn't have to be hours and hours of conversation and deep rooted, like ring up Tommy and ask him what he's drinking today. And if he doesn't we know say, the answer though, don't we? And we if he doesn't say is. Tito's, then phone me and we need to go. Something's wrong. If there's something wrong, we need to get down there. See what I mean? So uh, I think what I'm going to do with the podcast um, yeah. to answer your question is keep getting lots and lots of individual ones. I want to do every two weeks, I want to do a group one like this. I want the questions on this one. I mean, some of them might be really good and you need to keep them, but you know, I'm going to try and always, you know, have them coming in from elsewhere. Thank you, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen. All our podcasts sit on the Nine Foot Night Killer Collective, Soul Feed, Forge Not Made, and the JTAP podcast. Take some time, maybe listen to one of the other podcast series that you're not listening to, and give us your feedback. All these things only happen because of the Nine Foot Night Killer community, and we really appreciate them. Thank you, everybody, for listening.